The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Morning, I was thinking about prodigals, and we're going to be in the, the, uh, the book of Romans as a follow-up to the Luke 15 passage that we've been on for about three or four weeks, uh, dealing with the prodigals in our life and understanding how much God loves those that are straight away and how the father acts uh, loving and benevolent to the son that has come home, how the older brother has responded poorly to the coming home of the younger brother. We've dealt with all that, but we're going to look a little bit today and probably next week and maybe even in the next week on what it means to be the parent of a prodigal. Now, I mean literally the parent of a prodigal, but you might also be the parent as in we are the the caretakers of this church and this family. So we have members in this church that have gone astray as well. It happens a lot. People that come in, they get involved for a little bit. uh, They're like that seed that fell on rocky soil or fell among thorns. And they've grown up a little bit and the world has come in around them and choked out uh, that their faith and they have moved on and strayed away from the church. So we have prodigals all over our lives. It may be very personal today. Uh, this is one of those sermons that, uh, that old cliche, he's stopped preaching and he's gone to meddling. Okay, you may feel like that, meddling. Just so you know, I don't know about your prodigal. I don't know at all. You may know about your prodigal. The person sitting next to you may know about your prodigal. And uh, maybe somebody else in the church knows, but I don't know. But I do know it's very, very common in the family to have people that have grown up in the Lord, that you have raised up, that you have spent time on, that you've invested uh, every bit of your heart and soul and all of your money and money you didn't have and raising them up and getting them to a point in life. And then suddenly they turn their back on the faith that they had, the faith that they exhibited. Maybe they were examples to their other peers when they were young. That happens a lot. This particular kid's name was Robert, and Robert was uh, very active in our college ministry when I was in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, we had a very strong ministry there. By, by the way, if I were to preach a ministry, a story about ministry, it's probably going to come from that town and that location and that bunch of people because a lot of crazy things happened at that one. But this particular guy was... Um, he was uh, very involved. He got saved. He hung out with some folks that helped disciple him. But he had some baggage. And that baggage was he felt like uh, he had to prove himself to be as good as everyone else in the room. So he was always saying things or bragging or doing things that would lift him up and make him look good in the eyes of our uh, fellow students that were there. And uh, people tolerated that because, you know, that can get on your nerves. A little bit when somebody's worn up in your stories all the time, and um, because they knew that he was growing out of a painful life situation that he had grown his in his family, uh, Robert, when he would go on trips with us, I had to watch out for him and make sure that he didn't do something dumb, and by dumb I mean really reckless, reckless things. I, we were at a lake party one time on his family's property. We we're driving a back and he didn't think we stayed long enough so he opened the back seat uh, back door of the car and just rolled out onto the into the, the pasture he wanted to get out and go back to the to the lake 
We were in San Antonio on a mission trip, and we watched, watched him very closely on almost every trip. But on this particular trip, he had slipped away. We were staying in inner city, uh, in the inner city mission in a homeless shelter overnight, working in the homeless shelter, and uh, Robert decided that he wanted a pizza. So he slipped out the back door, and he walked several miles across downtown San Antonio to the closest Domino's pizza he could find and brought a pizza back to prove to me that he could go do what he needed to do when he needed to do it. It's all the time. I left him at a gas station at Six Flags one time because he hid in the ga- He went in uh, when we were buying uh, gas and, and snacks, and um, he uh, hid from me in the restrooms. We had everybody, we had a bus full of people, and um, so that he would get left at the gas station so I'd have to turn around and come back and get him. He was prone to wonder. I wish we would have sang that song this morning. He was prone to wonder all the time. Uh, whenever you look at Robert, you'd say, prone to wonder, I can feel it. He was a guy that wanted to get away. His faith was the same way. It was up and down and up and down. It took a while for him to become a disciple. He was prone to wonder. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. And I want to start us off in verse 16. Romans 1, 16. The reason I started, when I went back about three verses in this passage on purpose. This passage, as Paul writes this, he is writing an explanation, an understanding, an apologetic, a, uh, a, a treatise of what it means to know Christ. It's the gospel. The gospel is presented in a very clear, very uh, firm way to the people that he is writing. And this, this particular uh, passage says some things that might be uh, a little bit abrasive to you. If you're not used to the truth of the gospel, if you've not uh, embraced that, Paul speaks in a way that we need to hear and we need to be told directly, uh, then, then you might be a little abrasive to you. So get ready for that. Paul says very clearly up front, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed in a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he lays out that he is going to say some things about Jesus that are not disputable. It's first-hand evidence. It is uh, what has happened in the body of Christ and the church in those days. He's saying that you can uh, have stake everything you own on the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and He gave His life for you and He was He conquered death when He was raised from the grave. And you can have eternal life through Him. He makes it clear that that's what He believes and He's not ashamed of it. I stood in front of a bunch of people before in a lot of places and have been told that what I believe about the gospel is a little bit crazy. I've been invited to speak in classes on college campuses uh, a lot over the last 30 years, but uh, I had gotten a little naive. I had thought that when I got into ULM, I thought, by this point, people kind of know where I stand, and they know uh, what what we believe in. And uh, if they're inviting me to a class or just kind of getting that particular view of Christianity to speak. So I was invited to a sociology class to talk about traditional marriage. And in that discussion about traditional marriage... Uh, I did basically what every one of you would have said about what it means. 
uh, man and woman married in the sight of God. It's an ordinance of church. All of that. And then they set me up uh, because they let someone follow me. Uh, I, it's like I was on the Jerry Springer show. It was that crazy of a day. And that person came in, and she was a pastor of a church that's very, very uh, liberal. You could not, I mean, they're not a, they weren't a biblical church. They might assent that there is a Bible, uh, but not, not believe the Bible. That person uh, basically called me everything you can call me in public for believing what I believed. Now, fortunately, that class was full of believers. And students would stand up and, and, and protest and loudly protest that what the, that the behavior of that particular speaker was inappropriate just from the attacking of the, the, the foundation that I had laid out. So there will be attacks. Uh, I want to know it didn't hurt, I want you to know it didn't hurt my feelings, what she said. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for those that believe. We can trust it. So we can trust it. That gives me some confidence to be able to, to go into difficult situations and deal with difficult people because you know who you are. When you know who you are, you have confidence. I heard a discussion about a quarterback last night. I believe it was the University of Texas quarterback, yours. They said that he played differently this year because sometime between last year when he played Alabama, by the way, he got hurt in that game, he got saved. And they talked about that on national TV. He got saved, and they said he has a quiet confidence of who he is that is very different than who he was last year. That's the testimony. Well, a believer, when you stand like that, you're able to face this, this difficult type of situation that we're dealing with here in this passage. There are people who reject you. There are people that reject me. There are people that reject this scripture and Paul. There are people that reject Jesus. We can, uh, might as well go ahead and accept it and with maturity say that person is responsible, uh, the Holy Spirit's responsible for them. I can do the best I can to be as kind as I can to minister to them uh, with all that's in me and love them with the love of Christ, but the Holy Spirit has to change them. So when you have that that kind of perspective, looking at a lost person, it's, it's, it's more grace-filled. It's kinder. We're not on defensive. We're not trying to prove something that we're good enough to be accepted. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godly, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So the people know that God's there. They know He exists. Whether they accept it, whether they say it, whether they live a life that honors Him, they know He's there. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. People know He's there. He's revealed Himself to them. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they had neither glorified Him or, nor uh, as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now here's the, the um, de-evolution or, de- or, or deconstruction of the faith of a prodigal. They have rejected that God is real, that He's involved in their life. 
and that their minds become darkened. And that darkened mind uh, generates other behaviors and beliefs. So Paul lays that out pretty clear here, what happens to them. They, um, their mind, uh, verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of uh, the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So it goes right into from, from belief and darkness to behavior that is darkness. That's just the next natural step. If you have a prodigal in your life that has lived a way that their life li- is, is not reflective of your life, not reflective of how they were raised, not reflective of, of who God created them to be and the work that he's done in their life, is because their, their mind has gone dark. I had a professor in one, another campus I worked at that was famous for, he was an honors English professor. He was famous for this. His goal was to tear down the faith of any Christian that came into his class as a freshman. It was stated, it was known, uh, you knew that was going to happen to you. Uh, one one um, September, about a Tuesday morning, a little girl came into our building crying. She was weeping. She graduated top of her class and uh, one of the Hot Springs, Arkansas high schools. And she was uh, an honor student, strong in her faith, but she was crying because this particular professor made her stand up and defend her faith and made a fool out of her in front of her classmates. Just everything she'd say, he'd give some philosophical argument that that a 50-year-old can give that an 18-year-old can't give. And he enjoyed that, tearing her down. But I heard that story every year. Every semester I heard this story. Story after story after story after story how he tore people down. He was raised the son of a pastor. But he enjoyed causing people to stray. The last story I heard of him was the last semester I was there. He had gotten cancer and he had uh, become a little more humble. And he would turn, uh, you know, he would talk a little bit, turn and write on the board and do all the things that you do in a classroom. This particular day, he had lost so much weight that uh, his belt was not big enough. He turned to write on the board and his pants fell to the ground. And I marked that day, and I, that's one of the stories I can remember, by the way, because the proud was made humble. This man that thought he knew everything, that enjoyed tearing people up, that enjoyed uh, deflecting away from Christ, was humbled in front of a crowd that he was trying to uh, harm, basically. In his last days, he uh, became kind again. Something about the imminence of death changes your heart, doesn't it? You have that near-death experience. You have that worry experience. It changes uh, your direction. It can bring, it can bring a prodigal home. Verse twenty-five. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what this professor did. Changed the excuse of God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. The natural progression of someone going prodigal is to exchange truth for a lie. Start lying to yourself. I have something here I'm going to talk to you in just about a minute. 
uh, about three, three or four points from now. This is a lie to me. I, I received this lie. I wanted to believe this lie. I wanted to believe that this thing smelled good. This is cologne. No, it didn't, but I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm going to leave it right here for you to look at. I thought it was true, but it wasn't true. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over the shameful lusts. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. That's the completion of this rebellion. They're suffering because of their choices. Verse 28. Furthermore, they did, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. And they are gossips and slanderers and God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Have y'all seen anybody like that before? Have you been like that before? It's possible. It's possible you've been like that. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You know, I could jump off of the, off the message and get away from Scripture for a minute and talk about political correctness and uh, being all, all the, the whole modern culture, but I think you all know that. You know that that exists, where those who hold up a standard of righteousness are oppressed. And those who don't are lifted up and honored. That's the world that we live in right now. We live in a prodigal country, a prodigal state, a prodigal government, prodigal school system, prodigal jobs. We live in that culture. Here's some things we can, we can get from this passage. Your prodigal knows about God. So you can underline that part in the scripture. They know God's there. The second thing is rejection of the love and authority of God is showing in their life. Because they rejected Him, you can see it. Haven't been taking care of business, things are degrading. Number three is rejection of God darkens the heart. We learned that, learned that early in that passage. Rejection of God propels them into bad relationships. Because someone who believes a way that their prodigal way is right, they're going to be attracted to those who believe the prodigal way is right. And they'll band together. They'll band together, they'll party together, they'll have a good time together. You know, I've I've heard people say a lot that their favorite holiday of the year is, y'all fill in the blank, What's their, what do you think the, the modern culture's favorite holiday of the year is? Halloween? Anybody say Halloween? It's Halloween. Well, Halloween's an act of rebellion and disguise and celebration of evil in some places, some locations, because they want to gather together. 
and want to gather together the same people that think the same way. Now this, I'm about to give you a point here that is both true and untrue at the same time. And I'll explain that to you in just a second. It's not your fault that your kid is prodigal. You could have raised them perfectly. You could have raised them in a way that they were disciplined. You had prayer meeting at supper table every night. You prayed with them before they went to bed. You made sure they went to church. And when they got out of the house, they made a choice to rebel. Now, if I had people raise their hand and say, Amen, that happened to me, uh, there would be hands all over this room. Because people make their own choices. They choose to sin or not sin. They may, they choose to be rebellious or not be rebellious. They choose to gather with those that are rebellious. So you could have done things that were perfect that pushed, the, and they still were pushed away from the gospel. Here's why I know this is true because I meet people all the time that are the opposite of that. They came from houses that are full of rebellion. That, that there were drugs in the house and alcoholics that were abusive and uh, cheated and did all kinds of things in the, the example that they had, yet disciples will be born out of that family. And they grow up to be great leaders in the church and, and powerful uh, people in, for the kingdom of God. And they're the kind that witness and share the gospel. Those two things happen. So you cannot claim or own all the responsibility and guilt for having a rebellious person in your life. Here's the opposite of that. It's unless you created a culture for them to be rebellious. If you created a culture in your home for them to be rebellious, and it's subliminal, and let me give you an example of what that culture is. If you always complain about referees' calls all the time. You're at a game, you can't live with something not going your way, and you're always complaining. That's a rebellion against authority. By the way, I was talking to me. I got trouble with that. Um, if you are always looking a way to bend the law, but not break it, you're just pushing the edge. And that culture has been set in your home. If you don't respect authority with your words, if you can't wait to get in the car and talk about what happened at that church that was scandalous, or that person, how they talk to you. or And you do that right in front of little ones. They hear it. Now, I, I raised three kids, and I've got a, a grandbaby that's around me every day now. And I got some bad news. That grandkid has my habits. She drinks a drink of whatever it is. And it can just be water or milk. But after every drink, she looks at me and goes, ah. 18 months old. That's just mimicry that she's learned from me being silly with her. What you do in the family does translate to the children. So if you're living a life of rebellion and you're uh, not honoring God or you're basically a cultural Christian that says that you're a Christian but you haven't shared the gospel or read your Bible or gave money to missions or gone on mission or uh, delivered food or, or flowers or something to someone that's sick, you haven't exhibited any of the fruit of being a believer, then you are living a lie in front of them and you're essentially 
rebellious, teaching rebellion to your children. So when you do that, you've created a culture. So hear me right. It's not always your fault when they rebel. But sometimes it is when they rebel, depending on the life that they grew up. You could have made some mistakes along the way, and those mistakes along the way created the culture that you exist in. But i got to tell you, you can get past it. You can start new right now in that particular area in your life and move to a new chapter. So here we have Land of the Free Cologne. The scent is called Grand Canyon. We spend a lot of time out west. We go to Glorieta uh, Collegiate Week every year, 30 years in New Mexico. Uh, I thought, man, that's got to smell good. It's going to smell like pinion trees or um, something, some sort of flower, cactus flower. It's going to be great. So I sprayed it in the air. I'm going to do this. Y'all get ready for this. All right. I sprayed it in the air at Walmart on the clearance aisle. And right now it smells pretty good. It smells like a candle somebody would give you for Christmas that they got for Christmas last year. That's the kind of candle this smells like. But I didn't read the small print. The small print says Grand Canyon, warm and solar. Uh, what it should have had in parentheses next to it, sweaty. With notes of pearl cacti, pear cacti, and oak. Moss. Um, let me tell you what it smells like. It smells like a goat found some clothes on the street of Santa Fe and put them on and spent the night in a dumpster and had too much Mexican food the night before. That's what it smells like one hour after you put this on. I put this on and I was at the office and I was wearing it around uh, the office and I kept smelling. I said, somebody's in this room stinks. <laughs> Somebody smells homeless here. And uh, then I realized after I walked around th- thinking that for a few minutes, it's me. I, st- I stink so much that I had to go change shirts. Uh, but you know what? I, well, I wore it once and I thought, man, I paid $2.09 for this. I'm going to wear it again. And it might get better next time. And guess what? It did not get better the next time. And I want to say, this particular fragrance, the closer you wear it to your skin, the worse it stinks. And I decided yesterday, I was looking at it on the, uh, on the countertop in the bathroom, and I thought, man, I'm going to throw that away. It's almost full. I'm going to get rid of it. But instead, I used it as a sermon illustration, so now I'm going to write it off on my taxes. It just needs to go. It was a good idea in my head, but it was not really a good idea. You may have done some things with your family that are behaviors that you did in the past that you have got to change. You've got to change them and get rid of them. You may be 70 years old and still live in rebellion against the church out in front of your family. Stop it. Zip that lip up when you get in the car. Maybe they did make you mad, but maybe you just wanted to be mad. Maybe they did something to offend you because you wanted to be offended. Because it's fun. 
It's recreational to be offended. Stop it. Stop rebelling against the authorities in your life and you're still setting the example for your adult children or for your young children. That's rebellious. Maybe, you know, prodigal means spend too much. Maybe you spend too much and need to stop it. That's spending everything you got every time you, you can't rest in your pocket because you've got to get rid of it. Maybe that's the example to let go of. There's some good news. i got some advice here. This is advice that we all need, including me. What can you do when someone goes bad? My number one thing is you're playing a long game. You're playing the long game. You can't win every conversation in relationship with them. But you realize it's a long life that you're living with this person. So the way you act toward them, the conversations you have with them, they need to be full of grace when you talk with them. But also full of scripture and full of understanding of the word and full of love, the love of Christ. Play the long game. The second thing is to admit it's going to hurt. When someone that you care greatly about does things that hurts them, it hurts you. And you need the love of Christ just as much as they need the love of Christ because you protected this person and raised them and got them to the point they are and, and put everything in them. And they're just hurting themselves. Why do they take those drugs? Why do they drink so much? Why do they, whatever it might be that they're doing. Third thing is this, is to have hope because God is bigger than their sin. Every one of us can raise our hand about a rebellious person, but we can also raise another hand saying, I saw a rebellious person get saved and change their life. Have hope. This is the hard one where it's meddling. You gotta let them fall sometimes. You gotta let them fail. You can't rescue them out of everything. When you let them fail and maybe go without a car for a while. Go without a house for a while. Do some things that are consequences of their behaviors. You let them fail. It helps them get to the place that boy was that was prodigal. He was in the pig pen, starving. But he came out. The next thing is this. Just because that one child is prodigal doesn't mean the rest of your kids are prodigal. Don't forget you have other kids too and other family too and other friends too. Spend some time and attention on them, not all your attention and worry on that on that lost one. The next thing is be expectant. Be expectant. Expect God to do something. Not only believe He can do something, expect Him to do something. Pray with expectancy that God will deliver them from the prodigal state that they are in. He can. Here's the last one. Probably the hardest one. Be an example of grace without endorsing their sin. That means you're not uh, putting a pride flag as your Facebook status. You're not um, saying, oh, it's okay. 
You can sober up. You'll be okay tomorrow. It means loving them with the love of Jesus the best you know how, in his power, in his strength, and not saying it's okay what you did. Now, every one of those points have large sermons attached to them. We can come back and talk about that another day. The Lord will give you the strength you need to minister the way you need to minister to the person that you love most that is so far from Him. Trust Him. Is your child in a far off place now? Do you have a kid that's a long way from God? Do you have a brother that's so far that it seems like they can't come back? What are you doing right now about that? tell you just a few practical things you can do. One is you can tell a few people to pray with you. Take the power of that secret that's in you that you're so embarrassed of and let it go and list a few friends, not everybody, because that's not everybody's business. But list a few friends and list them to pray for you and there will be people that will pray for that person all the time in your life. And they'll ask you, how are they doing? Have they come come back yet? They might even extend uh, acts of grace toward that prodigal person. Share your burden with someone else. When you share that burden, you pray together, you see God's power work out in community. So what we're going to do right now as a beginning of an invitation It's right here where we are. We're just going to bow our head. Just bow your head. And speak that name silently to the Lord of that prodigal person in your life. That child you're worried about, that grandchild that you're worried about that's got a rebellious spirit, speak their name before the Lord. Lord, we pray for those rebellious people in our life, those that have turned from you. We pray that you will speak to their heart, that you will send a word to them today, that you'll be the one that draws them to you, that there will be Scripture in places that that child has not seen Scripture before, and they'll read that, and there will be a calling back to you. Father, they'll drive by a church sign down a street, and that church sign will be a... provocation toward the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would speak to their heart and Lord they would call out on your name and Father those that are caught in this this bed of iniquity that you would draw them out of that bed of iniquity and they would find uh, some wholeness and sanity and clarity in their life and Father you would uh, help them to take that first step that step toward home out of the pig pen Lord, that you would prepare us right now as we're ready, getting ready to receive those, those prodigals because we believe in expectation that you can do miracles and you can heal people. Father, we are ready to receive them and we're going to the closet and we're finding the great robe, the best robe of the house, getting it ready and having it dry clean and getting it to the point that it's ready to place on that prodigal child and bring them home and love them without judgment. 
And Father, those lost people in this community that are going to come to know you, I pray that you prepare us to be the loving older brothers and older sisters that draw them in. And Father, if any of us here are in love with scandal, in love with gossip, in love with um, being offended, that you would cause that that love of uh, being offended, that gossip, that you cause it to be a bitter taste in our mouth and we would reject it. We can no longer accept gossip in our life. Lord, we know you can do all these things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may find yourself today here in this room as a prodigal. You're running from God. And he is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, run to me. Run to me because I love you. Your burden's heavy, but I'll bear it. My burden's light. If you'll stand for a time of invitation, I'll be waiting here and uh, just pray with you. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.